Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you to study the Bible with us for a few moments as we continue our investigation of Jesus' saving message, the message which in fact invites us to immortality and life forever, what Jesus called the gospel about the kingdom of God. We've established it as a basic and fundamental fact of our biblical revelation that Jesus was a preacher of the kingdom, a herald of the good news of what he called the gospel about the kingdom of God. I have to tell you a simple fact. The word kingdom means kingdom. It means an area, geographical terrain, ruled over by a king. The gospel of the kingdom, as Jesus preached it, was thoroughly based on the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the only Bible, in fact, known to Jesus, that Bible on which he was reared and raised from early childhood, the Bible which he knew extremely well and which he quoted almost instinctively. Christianity is based on the Hebrew faith of the Hebrew Bible, what we rather unfortunately call the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament is not finished, done away with, per se, or obsolete. It's the basis of the theology taught by Jesus, that saving theology, that saving knowledge of God, as propounded by Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah of Israel. We Christians, of course, believe that he was indeed the Messiah of Israel, now resurrected from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, and due to come again in power and glory, not just to take people off the world and burn the world up, as sometimes thought, but to re-establish sound government in this earth, on this planet, in a government headquartered at Jerusalem, at a time when Jerusalem will be a grand public worship center, and all the nations will plead to go up there and learn how to live in a manner which will grant them too the life of the age to come, life forever. At present what we see on earth is a considerable degree of chaos and conflict. Even amongst churches there's little agreement about what the Christian faith is. It's time for us to return to the basics and to ask fundamental questions. What was it that Jesus preached as the gospel? And the simple answer to that question is found in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, in Matthew 24, verse 14, all of those texts and many, many others indicate with absolute clarity that Jesus was a preacher of the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God idea is rooted in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. It was way back in Genesis 12 that God selected one family, one individual, in fact, from one family, Abraham, and promised him the earth, the world, forever. Abraham was to leave his native country, to give up ties with his natural family, to leave his country and to go to a land unseen which God would show him. He went by faith and obedience. God showed him a land, the land that we now call Israel, the land of Palestine, and he promised to give to Abraham and to his descendants that land, that gift of territory, forever. The plain fact is that Abraham has never inherited that land. Abraham's descendants have not inherited that land in permanence and in security. And so the thrilling element of the whole biblical story is simply this. The God of Abraham, the one God of Israel, has solemnly undertaken by oath-bound covenant to give to Abraham and his distinguished seed, his descendants, 
and more particularly his descendant in the singular, Jesus Christ, to give them the land and indeed the earth in perpetuity. That's the basis of Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God. Christianity is an invitation, in fact, to take part and to have a place in that kingdom as an executive. These facts are written on most pages of the Bible. They're clear from start to finish. Abraham was not given the land. He died in faith, the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter tells us, not having received the promises, but he's waiting to receive them when he's raised from the dead in the future, from the sleep of death, to take part in the kingdom via resurrection. And that kingdom will be here on the earth. We're to pray, Thy kingdom come. We're praying then for the fulfillment of the great Abrahamic covenant on which the Christian faith is solidly based. We're praying for the time when David, the king of Israel, will arise also to take his distinguished place in the kingdom of God. That kingdom will be a world revolutionary government to be introduced by cataclysm, by a world upheaval on a grand scale, on a scale never experienced before in history. If that isn't something to be excited about and to be prepared for, what could awake the world as it sleeps in its apathy and its indifference to the extraordinary truths of the Bible? Abraham was spoken to individually by God. The covenant underlying Christianity is that covenant with Abraham. The gospel, as the great apostle Paul said, was preached beforehand to Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. The gospel which Jesus announced was not new. Its concepts were deeply rooted in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Jesus was the one to whom those covenants pointed. He was to be the great recipient of the land promise, along with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and the kings of Israel, those at least who were faithful, and all the prophets who suffered and struggled as they sought to bring their wayward people, the people of Israel, into a lifestyle which would be suitable for them also to take part in that great kingdom. The whole point of the Abrahamic faith is that Israel was selected as the model nation, destined then to take the great truths of the scriptures and the great model way of living so that they too could glory in the way that God had shown to Israel and could join the people of Israel as one consolidated group sharing in the worship of the one God. In large measure, Israel failed in its commission. Only the prophets and a handful, a few faithful in Israel, stood against the majority as heroes representing the truth and the covenant which God had promised to Abraham. It's essential if we're to get a grasp of the mind of Jesus and to understand his gospel that we first understand the mind of God is revealed in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, we have the solemn basis of the Christian gospel. Abraham was called out of his land to the promised land, the land of the promise. And he lived in that land as a resident alien, as a green card man, so to speak, a spiritual tourist, owning nothing of that land and yet possessing it potentially. It was his by promise only by oath-bound promise. Do you see then that the whole of the biblical story is based on this fundamental promise made to Abraham, the promise we might call it of the soil and the seed, the promise of land and the promise of a distinguished descendant. That descendant, according to Galatians chapter 3, was the Messiah. 
But according to Galatians 3.29, we Christians are the seed of Abraham if we belong to Christ. In other words, that singular seed, which is Jesus Christ, is extended to incorporate all of those who are true believers in Jesus, who have been baptized into the faith, and are continuing to walk in spirit and in truth. And so the biblical story is essentially very simple. There's a land promise, a promise of territory given to Abraham, and the promise of a distinguished descendant. That descendant is Messiah, whom we as Christians believe to have been Jesus Christ, the one now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, as the promised Messiah and seed of Abraham, is the prime recipient of the great oath-bound, covenanted land promise made to Abraham. Jesus, as that seed or descendant, according to Galatians 3.19, is the one to whom the promise of the inheritance has been made. Jesus, then, in announcing the gospel of the kingdom, or the land restored as it will be, offers us a share in that kingship. To be a saint in the Bible is to be one appointed to rule with Messiah. Here's how a distinguished writer on the New Testament puts it. He says this, To enter the kingdom of God means much more than to become a subject of God's kingdom. It means to receive a share in God's kingship, to be one of those appointed to reign. Jesus speaks of the poor in spirit, that's to say the Christian saints, as those to whom the heavenly kingship belongs. They are the meek who, according to the prophecy in Psalm 37, shall inherit the earth. Jesus quoted those words of Psalm 37:11 in Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. Just as the old Israel obtained the inheritance of the promised land, so the new Israel of the church will also possess the earth as its inheritance. After the death of the Antichrist in Daniel 7, judgment, according to that text, is to be given to the saints of the Most High, and the time comes that the saints possess the kingdom. And so just as old Israel possessed the land for a time under Joshua, so the church then is destined to possess the promised land of the kingdom of God, which will be the earth renewed and restored under the divine governorship of Jesus Christ, who by that time will have returned. And the celebrated text in Revelation 11 verses 15 to 18 will have been fulfilled. At the seventh trumpet, we read there, the kingdoms of this world, that's to say the present chaotically organized kingdoms of mankind, will have become the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, of course, will last forever. It will be administered by Messiah and by those who belong to him, the saints who are appointed to rule in that kingdom. Well, you may ask, how does Abraham fit in with this grand plan for the kingdom? And remember that the kingdom is the subject of Jesus' gospel. Abraham was promised the land. He never received it. In fact, we read quite explicitly that Abraham died in faith, not having received the promise of the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 and 39. Indeed, all the faithful and all the heroes and prophets of the Old Testament died looking forward to the kingdom of God on the earth, but not having received it. How then can Abraham receive that promised kingdom? The answer is very straightforward. Everything depends upon the resurrection which Jesus will cause to happen when he returns. It's at the seventh trumpet, at the return of Jesus, that he will raise the faithful dead from the sleep of death 
and they will then take part in that great promised kingdom and rule with Messiah for the first thousand years of the kingdom, what we call the millennium. And so the story is simple. Abraham was promised the kingdom or the earth or the land. He never received it. Jesus, in his gospel of the kingdom, invites us also to partake in that land promise of Abraham. How shall we receive the land promise? By repenting and responding to Jesus' invitation, issued when he spoke of the kingdom of God being at hand, and that we should repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We should be baptized as responsible adults with intelligent faith, just as in Acts 8:12, when they believed Philip, preaching the kingdom of God gospel in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized as intelligent recipients of the message of the kingdom, the message which Jesus himself had preached. And so you see, repentance in the New Testament simply means turning to Jesus by turning to his message about the kingdom of God. Repentance is nothing less than a wholehearted commitment to the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Repentance, then, is inextricably tied up with committing ourselves to the message of the gospel of the kingdom as Jesus preached it. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God, a copy of the tape you're listening to, and an article entitled Genesis and the Covenant Made with Abraham. We'd like to send these to you free for your personal Bible study at home. Join us again for our continuing discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.